Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Dose of Liberty. Before we begin um, this podcast, there's just a few uh, housekeeping things that I would like to bring up before we kind of get into the formal episode. So if you if you really don't want to listen to this, if you think this is going to be boring, just skip forward a few minutes. But there's just a few important things that I'd like to bring up. So we'd like to thank you, um, all of our listeners, for waiting so long between episodes of Dose of Liberty. When we got started, it was our sincere intention to get these episodes out kind of once every couple of weeks, maybe two or three weeks. But at the moment, because of life, work schedules, it's just been impossible to do that. So thank you very much for waiting. Um, at the moment, it doesn't look like it's going to get any quicker, but we do kind of in the near future hope to get more episodes out more quickly because leaving a month between podcasts is obviously not ideal. And if that does become like a permanent thing, then we need to kind of have a bit of a think about doing longer podcasts maybe or including more features in it. The next thing... I would like to just bring up with you guys is the sound quality. Doing podcasts has been a fantastic experience for, for all of us involved, but as I suppose with anything, it, it's a really steep learning curve and credit to Bruno who does most of the editing for the podcasts, getting it to a point where you have like an acceptable sound quality, that there is sort of an art to it and we, we are at the moment functioning on essentially no funding we we don't earn any money from this so just bear with us and thank you for bearing with us with the sound quality the the next couple of things is just some general things that i wanted to bring up i i was listening to the last podcast we did which was live at the um two chairman pub for one of the libertarian home meetups and just on a very personal note I'm aware that I use the word so an awful lot and I am really really going to try and not use the word so so much because Mm -hmm. it really does get in the way so if you've been listening and you have noticed that then I apologize and I'm going to try and stop doing that it's something I do a lot in my normal speech anyway so it's something for me to work on the next thing is music it's been our intention from the beginning to have some music like a little jingle or have something to kind of introduce the podcast and get it sounding a bit more professional and it's just not materialized we and every time i learn there's a particular program i'm using to get music software or music for the podcast and every time i come close to having something that's acceptable that the um program just crashes on my really shitty laptop <laughs> so we we are we are kind of working towards putting more bells and whistles on the podcast and making it less basic but bear with us for the moment and we'll probably back edit the, the podcast to get the music in there the next or really the last thing is the we there is supposed to be a thing um about doing a podcast. Loads and loads of people start podcasts and then they stop doing it. Seven is supposed to be the magic number for um, making a podcast. Once you do seven episodes, apparently that is the um, the dividing line between this is going to go on for a long time and this kind of didn't work out for you. Try again next time. So um, we are at episode six now. So we will try and maybe do something a little bit special for episode seven because it would be quite nice to mark a bit of a milestone. Anyway, without further ado, welcome to the Dose of Liberty podcast. You're joined by me, Jordan. You, we also have Bruna. Hello, fellow libertarians. And we have Tammy. As always, hello. And this episode is again we're experimenting with formats today. We we kind of have we have a general theme this lesson. Lesson. <laughs> We have a general theme, this podcast, and we're going to kind of use maybe a bit more in an informal way of doing it. First thing we want to discuss is the Day for Freedom. Now, if you're listening to this in America or another country, Canada, then... There are lots of Canadians there. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We In, in the UK, we had uh, a big sort of demonstration last week in London. 
and it was called The Day for Freedom, and it attracted a lot of criticism because the kind of people that were on the bill to talk at this Day for Freedom were not necessarily people that you would want to be associated with. There was some sort of what, I suppose, in America, Hillary Clinton would have called deplorables, really. And we just thought we'd start off by beginning with that because the the theme for this episode of Dose of Liberty is um, why isn't libertarianism more popular? And it'd be good to have a reflection on Day for Freedom and have a bit of a chat about what worked, what didn't, and what we as libertarians can take away from it. So I don't know if anybody wants to pick me up on this. It'd be interesting to get your perspectives because you guys... Yeah, it's like yeah. the... I think the, the movement, the free speech movement, it is has been shifted around from left to right so it, it used to be a left-wing thing but now it's in theory quote-unquote right-wing thing and it's just it's just like the the status quo is trying to silence what, whatever is criticizing it and that that that's what happened uh, some years ago when the when the right was the status quo they would not let the left speak. And now the left is the status quo and some people in the left don't want quote unquote right wing people to speak. And that's the issue we're facing right now, at least in my opinion. I think that the, the fact that you had some controversial people there helps exemplify the, the, the freedom of speech because it's very easy to outcast people and you know, just make them unheard because they're a bit weird or well really controversial i think that we need them because people who are extremists in a certain kind of um, attitude not in in a religious kind of way i'm speaking about um, taking themselves seriously uh, so they'll they'll act out and they will push boundaries for the rest of us who maybe aren't that controversial or aren't that um, trickster character or, you know, the, the hooligan character maybe, but we, we were, we're right behind them because they are pushing boundaries, basically. They are the most outrageous you can get. And that's how you, you say, this is freedom. They're, they're really outrageous, but, you know, they can still talk. Yeah, definitely. I think that... Um... Day for Freedom was an interesting event because for me the the day was very much in two halves. I, I remember thinking, cause for, for, again for those of you that weren't aware of this or kind of what happened, the start of the day you had speeches from Tommy Robinson, the ex-leader of the English Defence League. You had Gerard Butler, the current leader of the United Kingdom Independence Party. You had Anne-Marie Waters, a woman who's so Islamophobic that she got kicked out of UKIP. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, that the theme for the start of the day was very much Islam mm-hmm. and why Islam is a threat to free speech. And I remember sat there thinking, well, I'm here for free speech. I'm not here to talk about Islam or Muslims. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. Yeah, sure. If they want to take my free speech, of course, I'm going to be against them uh, as and I'll be so against anyone who tries to take my free speech. Yeah, away. I mean, yeah, is is Islam is radical Islam a threat to free speech? Yeah, sure. But it's not for me the most important one by any stretch of the imagination. I know that not everyone agrees with me on that. Yeah, the, the current the current status quo is the most dangerous because they already have a lot of power, and they want to use it to shut people down. Yeah, absolutely. Stop them from talking. But then the day really got going. I think when there was a bit of a break, and then you had. Count Dankler, you had Mark Meacham, uh, Sargon of Akkad, Carl Benjamin, you had um, Gavin McGuinness, who is a person I knew very little about, but impressed me with the content of his speech. Although I probably don't agree with him on a lot of issues. Um, then Milo Yiannopoulos, mm-hmm. for me, although I, I, dis- I, I made my views on Milo Yiannopoulos quite clear in previous podcasts in that I think he's a, an interesting guy who happens to um, hold, you know, share some views with me. But I thought that his speech was really one of the standout speeches of the day. I thought that his speech was 
probably the most articulate, and that is by no means a, an all endorsement by mm-hmm. me of Milo Yiannopoulos, but I thought that his speech was the standout. But for me, what really stood out from Dave's uh, Day for Freedom was two things. The first thing was that the extent to which that this was demonised by certain media, particularly The Guardian, and um, standard did as well. Yeah, yeah. And just saying that this was a right wing hate speech rally. I mean, Nazis. Yeah, that's it. You'd think by what you know, you'd think by reading some of the coverage of Day for Freedom that, I mean, this was like a modern version of the Nuremberg rally, right? But yeah. it really wasn't. Yeah, for I had me. someone on my Facebook trying to push down the you know Guardian agenda, saying, "Oh, this was a right wing rally with neo Nazis." And I went there and said, sorry, no, I was there. You know, and as controversial as it was, there were no, you know, neo-Nazis whatsoever there. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's super hard to generalize and say everyone there was... Like, you could have some Wackles that are really uh, white nationalists or whatever. And it's their right to be, you know? And I would rather know that someone is a white nationalist and choose not to deal with them knowing that then not know what they actually think and get talked over about you know them giving me the you know say cheating on a business deal or something because they think i'm lower than them and i just went into a business deal without knowing their actual opinions about something yeah i mean what were were there people there that were um probably racist yeah sure i mean i imagine there probably were i I find Mm -hmm. it hard to believe i mean particularly for me, the worst point of the day was when Anne-Marie Waters did her speech. Um, if you don't know anything about Anne-Marie Waters and you think I've been harsh, check her out because she is an interesting person, to say the least, and probably someone, unfortunately, who is going to become increasingly relevant in British life. Um, but I think that to say that the whole day was this kind of modern neo-fascist event is just not true. I, 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 wouldn't, I would say that just by going on my observations and looking at the applause that certain speakers got at certain points throughout the day, mm-hmm. I would say that the message of kind of anti-Islam and things that could even potentially be misconstrued as far right would were less than ten percent of the crowd. Yeah, if that. Yeah. That that's the impression that I got. the 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 other thing I really got from Day for Freedom and actually from this year in general, I mean, we're only five months in to the year, but the extent to which that the message, a, a non-racist, sensible, well-thought-out, articulate message for freedom resonates with people. There's, There seems to be a belief that, and an understandable belief, I think, that libertarianism just isn't popular. People just aren't out there to have, people don't want that. People don't want to hear that. It's not part of our debate. But the rounds of applause that people like Count Dankula and Sargon Avocad were getting mm-hmm. from saying something very simple, the government mm-hmm. shouldn't regulate our speech, right? Yeah. It was thunderous applause. And yes. the, it really, I, the, what I took away from Day for Freedom was, yes, there were moments of it that were profoundly uncomfortable for me. But there is a market for people talking about libertarian sounding ideas yeah. and we should take that and we should run with it. Yeah, it, it, it is a, a fundamental libertarian principle and it's not like we are borrowing it from someone or someone is borrowing it from us. It, it is a principle that has been part of many political institutions and we have this tradition, right? We, we know it is powerful. We know that we need free speech to to say things to argue so people might know it from actually researching and reading about history or reading about the political systems but i think it's much more of a of an instinct today people just feel they have to be able to speak their minds up right? yeah and that segues quite nicely i think to what our what we, we wanted to talk about for the main part of the podcast today which is why isn't libertarianism a more constant feature of our political life. This is a massive topic, but for me it's an important one because I think as libertarians or liberal-minded folk, it's important to reflect sometimes and think, why 
isn't our ideas or what sorry why aren't our ideas more receptive to the general public why aren't we a feature of the kind of popular discourse because then that's something that i think is worth reflecting on because then we can think about well how are we going to bridge that gap how do we get ourselves into the public consciousness because at the moment we're not but there is an appetite for us but there should be more i think that um there's there's uh this bit of news that just came up on my phone and i i just heard what you said and i'm like yeah this this is definitely why we need libertarianism so apparently news agents are to sell porn passes to <laughs> adults who want to go on x-rated websites License to jack off yeah yeah so yeah literally that so apparently the government's gonna bring in this 16 digit password or um, cards that people are gonna buy from a news agent and they'll enter into their computer so they don't have to enter any personal information for websites um you know it comes dressed up all nicely as in oh yeah you you're keeping keeping your kids safe from porn and we're keeping your data safe from porn websites but what is it literally it's just selling you know you your right it's it's licensing your rights to visit whatever you want on the internet and you even if you're not losing your privacy to the internet you're losing your freedom of will can you just imagine the amount of Thor downloads and VPNs being used after this is brought into action and I mean I have never heard anything about this on the news or being discussed or anything it seems like it's just Yes, this is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to go. That's it, deal with it. No referendum, no warning, no nothing. It's just a very totalitarian kind of decision that's kind of scary if you think about how, it. How is it supposed to work then? So you get a code from the news agents and you have to then type it into your computer in order to access a pornographic website? Apparently that's how it should work. Yes. And is it a proposal or is it something that's supposed to actually happen? It's supposed to be brought by the end of the year really yes wow. so um a spokesman for the department of culture media and sport which is responsible for the new legislation said we are in the process of implementing some of the strictest data protection laws in the world a wide variety of online age verification solutions exist or are in development and they'll have to abide by these high standards we expect that data security to be a high priority in the bb FC's guidance on age verification and arrangement. So this is what they're using as an excuse to help you keep your data safe and you know keep kids safe from the websites as well. But is it really? Yeah, for me this signifies a more broader trend. I think that in British life is becoming increasingly authoritarian, and the and I, I don't say that lightly that. Regarding the kind of new technology we have at the moment in the internet, it can really go two ways, right? You can either have it developing in a more, in a, essentially a more free way, so people are able to do what they want and use the technology to kind of live their lives in an independent way. But there is an alternative way. If we get into a position where governments have too much control over this new technology then we really do approach quite a dark place i think culturally and politically if you imagine the internet being an institutional tool of central government i mean the the ramifications of that are just terrifying for yes, me yes it is and the amount of data they are going to have access to because we deal with everything about our lives through the internet and once you know the government has full access to that I mean, they do already if they're targeting you, mm -hmm. but on a wider scale, as in, you know, large sets of data that they can just store and then look at it later on. If they want to, you know, put together a case against you, look throughout your whole internet, internet history and find out that 15 years ago, you clicked by mistake on a spam email that took you to a child pornography website and say that you, you, you're a pedophile. You think that's really that far-fetched? Yeah. It's not. I mean, it, it as well, for me, it signifies a problem that the current political landscape here in the UK 
is at the moment pretty barren of ideas the the government we have at the moment the conservative government is just reacting to problems that are out there the, the one of the impression was interesting as i said at the day for freedom in that the this is supposed to be sort of a right-wing rally mm-hmm. and the conservative prime minister got a massive boo and a hiss when her picture kind of came up on the bot on the tv screen and it just goes to show how directionless and how lacking in any kind of purpose now it kind of comes to the dichotomy between realism and idealism having being a realist and being practically minded i mean there's a lot to be said for that and that's fine when things are good but there are times when you need some kind of guiding principle you need to be able to say we're not just going to react to things we're not just going to respond to things plan for the future and um, strengthen your weaknesses and that's nothing that's happening in this country we are only getting more control over citizens less freedoms and more taxes more uh, benefits well they are cutting on benefits on this government I, I I know that but there is still a ridiculous amount of help that we shouldn't be giving to countries I would even say and the country here is just in, in going into ruins the NHS needs to collapse really fast because the slower it dies the more people are suffering the service is just this one and and then you bring it up and people are still angry. You know, they, are, they think you're a neo-Nazi for saying that the NHS needs to go. But there you go. That's, that's just... Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a problem with politics nowadays. That it's like politicians, they wish that the economic laws do not exist. And the, basically the job of a politician is to try and avoid the economic law. They want to give stuff away for free and they have no clue where it's coming from and i guess the public in general has the same idea it's like they see they're they're getting services and things are happening but they don't know what what what's the source right people are being paid the you have to hire the doctors you have to hire the nurses you have to have the whole bureaucracy to deal with everything that a hospital does right and so that comes at a cost and it's like and, and people also want like cheap housing the people also want benefits people also want free transport uh, yeah everything half price and everything for students as well it's another one yeah compl- stupid idea right and people don't stop to think like where is this coming from i mean you said something interesting earlier bruno about how people see politics or how i think it's interesting to talk about how people define politics because i think that lots and lots of people particularly in in amongst younger people today in britain have a slightly skewed idea of what politics actually is like what is politics so sorry to put you on the spot bruno but would you mind just kind of sharing with us what you said earlier about how people misconstrue what politics actually is, how you define politics. Yeah, okay, so basically you can define politics in many different ways, right? But one of the ways you can explain what politics is is just the process of making and enforcing laws, right? Basically. But but that's not what the general public gets on on the end, right? We we just we just notice what happens. And then if someone gets something from the government, that person has the impression that the government just or created that or that thing just came into existence. Or right? disappeared from existence. <laughs> yeah, if you're on the other end, if you, if you have your resources of money or whatever taken away from you. So I guess today people are just thinking the politics is getting something from the government not knowing that 
they provide everything the government has. So it's like a, an infinite loop, like a logical inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, for me, that is kind of one of the issues for why maybe libertarianism isn't as big as it should be. Because if you speak to your average well-informed person about politics, they will have an understanding of what libertarianism is. They might not have an understanding of who the kind of main, or what the main ideas are, but they at least they kind of have an, people understand the word libertarian. They understand what it means, but still it plays such a small role in our everyday life. And there's several explanations for that. Some of which I find quite difficult. The, the, the one that I really struggle with is the idea that we have, and I'm putting myself on the line here now that I really don't like the idea that, well, people are almost parasites from the government and people like getting free stuff. So for some kind of weird social Darwinian reason, libertarianism isn't bigger. The most ridiculous thing I've heard regarding this subject is, I can't remember who said it, I think it was Walter Block, the US libertarian economist, I think is his is profession. He said that we will have libertarianism but it will take several thousands of years for us to evolve to have the capacity to cope with libertarianism. Now, so, something that I'm really passionate about is that nothing has ever come from thinking like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my sincere belief that we could move in a much more libertarian direction in our lifetime. Because for me, planning for the next hundred years, a thousand years just isn't the point for no. me if, if otherwise we might as well just pack up no one has ever ever done anything that way and it kind of if and if it has been a success it's just been by pure chance you can't plan that far into the future but i do think that one of the reasons that libertarianism is not as popular as it could be and it ties in with what we were saying earlier about the role that the, the fact that we have a system at the moment where ideology and principles plays very little role in our political system is that for, for me libertarians or liberty-minded folk have had have been too ready to uh, become part of the conservative bandwagon and that's not just here in britain that's with the um right-wing party the republican party in america and one of the things that for me it's been quite uplifting although i know that for some people they probably don't share that view which is there's a when i first became a libertarian a few years ago there was a real sense that yes you're a libertarian but libertarianism is just a subset of the conservative party and when it comes to an election you just kind of suck it up and you do what you need to do and you pop your cross next to that blue name on the paper. <laughs> but there seems to be a real palpable sense now that the Conservative Party is not a home for libertarians. And that, for me, has been an extremely vindicating experience because that's what I've always thought. But it does seem that if we are going to become a much more permanent, much more recognisable feature of the political landscape that now is our time to kind of be distinctly libertarian and share libertarian ideas. I think yeah. that on what you're saying, libertarians need to be a home for ex-conservatives because I think we resonate on a lot of um, ideas that about freedom and also about personal responsibility. So we have to be open enough to get the, the ex-conservatives, the ones that have noticed that, oh, wait a second, conservatism isn't going the way it should. You know, state intervention isn't the answer. Let's start, you know, seeing other um, potential political systems. And then if they find themselves welcomed by libertarians, I think the movement can get a lot more support from people who wake up from the conservative dream yeah yeah, yeah. and going back to the point i was making before it's like po we have to distinguish libertarianism from politics because libertarianism is a philosophy and that ends up being closely linked to politics because that's the philosophy of how you should live your life and how you should 
interact with other people, right? So um, uh, the the thing is that it is philosophy, and we have to distinguish that, and we have to make it clear that we are not a political movement. We are not trying to get libertarian. Although there is the libertarian party, and some I do like some candidates from the libertarian party. It doesn't mean that I want the problem to be solved to through politics. It's like it the problems we have today would be solved if people just thought about some things differently. And I think that's the end goal of libertarianism, to change people's minds, right? To 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 say that the idea of the state is is failing basically. I agree with both of you. But I, I also have a disagreement with both of you in that I, I, I take Hayek's stance on this, which is that if you are a libertarian and you're listening to this, please do buy a copy of, um, of the Constitution of Liberty because there is a fantastic uh, chapter at the back of the book which says why liberty or liberal, classical liberalism and conservatism are not the same ideology. And I firmly believe that in that the alliance that we have between conservatives and classical small state liberals is really a coincidence rather than a philosophical meeting of minds. If liberals and conservatives have been battling it out for much longer than left wing and right wing have. But uh, I do share your view that, Tammy, that be there are probably lots and lots of people in the conservative party that are waking up to that as well and probably do realize that that is not an actual home for them as the values diverge more and more and more and if you are going to grow as a movement you need to have more people coming in you know you can't say oh we don't want these kinds of people but i, I think that um the 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 logic of allying with the conservative party and saying to them well we need to be aligned with the with the conservatives oh no, so we, we can never align never never sell out exactly <laughs> and people have been doing that for so long since yes. the late 19th century and it's just not worked we've got more and more state and i really really think that a big moment for this country will be when people as libertarians can stand separately from the conservative party and just let it fall by the wayside where it belongs in my view so i, I agree i agree completely so, yeah i agree with you and disagree yeah, with you I, on I, that conservative I, that's point. that's what i i think that we should always welcome them in not bend over to them yeah because that's what's happened in the past with the libertarian party and the conservatives no if they want to be libertarians we're gonna be you know a place where their freedoms can be found together with ours obviously um but we will not align with any i think right-wing party just yeah. to think we're getting into power but that's just not the purpose and the logic for me of well we should be we should vote for the conservative party because they at least pretend to um appeal to liberty people is null and void for me we've been doing that for over a hundred years and we have more state than ever so for me that doesn't chime at all even even under mrs thatcher um i, I also agree with what you said bruno about libertarianism being philosophical rather than an overtly political system but it, this is a journey that i've made really rather recently and it's that i make an analogy between if you talk to other libertarians we kind of have an understanding what we mean and we understand each other and we can have a conversation about that but for example if you turn on the tv and you watch a political program <clears throat> question time the andrew marshall whatever you expect to hear about politics right you, you expect to people you expect to see people arguing about that kind of stuff in the same way that if you watch a cooking show or a show about you know whatever it is buying a house in spain then you don't expect to hear about politics and something that i've come to be a, a bit of a convert to recently is the idea that if we as libertarians just eschew 
being involved in the political system, then we stop ourselves from reaching a massive number of people who might potentially want to be interested in politics. We kind of, to use an analogy, where you talking a different language, like everyone else is speaking in English and we're speaking in Japanese. And there are some native Japanese speakers here in the UK, but there's very a very small number. Mm-hmm. And I'm increasingly coming to the view that engaging in politics in some way would be really rather useful. And yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. It's like, it's not because I don't think that libertarianism is political, uh, that I think that libertarianism should not be involved in politics because that's the way things are working now and that's one way to change things. It is, I think it is an efficient way, yes, but I think that changing people's minds is even more efficient, right? Because even if by some miracle we had a country that had a proper libertarian government, if you could say so, if you had a big percentage of that population that was not aligned with the way of thinking, aligned philosophically speaking, if they were not carrying themselves and doing, acting the way that libertarians would expect them to act, right? If you had that government ruling those people, it would still be problematic, right? Because there would be a disconnect between what the government is trying to achieve and what the, the people actually want to do, right? So this, this is my main point. It's like, of, of course, that we can try to change the world through politics, but I think that ideas are much more powerful. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think that there's something to be said about the fact that where do people go to hear about new ideas? Or do they go to hear about them when they watch a politics show or they read the news or they do something? I think by saying that, which I don't think it is what you're saying, but by assuming that we just shouldn't take part in any political thing whatsoever, for me, locks us out of a massive amount of the public that we could be reaching so when coming back to the subject of why isn't libertarianism more popular i think that one of the key things we need to do is is because libertarianism in the uk is very very disorganized if you one of the things about you look at some of the more other radical ideologies out there for example communism or the hard left the amount of people in the uk that are hard left uh, is pretty small. I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, t- maybe Jeremy Corbyn and his friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but I'm talking about the people that are beyond Jeremy Corbyn. Like, uh, yeah, you, no, there are some. Yeah, yeah, I've met people that make Jeremy Corbyn look kind of middle of the road, <laughs> and the amount of people that are like that are pretty small. But they are so fucking organized. Yes. Like these kind of Trotskyist, Leninist people. They have these. They, I remember at my university, there was a society for them, and there's like 10 of them, five of them, but they are so effective because they are so organized. That's what they do, that is their thing. They operate in a way which they just have the maximum impact for the minimum amount of people, and that's why, despite having a tiny number of people, they are such a big force in our politics. And I'm not for a minute saying that we as libertarians have anything to emulate from people like that from the Trotskyist left <laughs> but I do think there's something to be said that as from being involved in the libertarian movement we are so disorganized yeah. and I mean I think, this, I think yeah. this is something that is related to the philosophy itself right because libertarianism is about the individual and about being left alone right so libertarians have a natural tendency not to impose their will on any other I believe that and I I add to it as well because I think that libertarians as individuals obviously they are into these politics as a hobby as a a personal interest for self-development so it's more a quest of you know philosophical beliefs and values so we get involved with this not because we want to make a living out of the politics that we are studying and practicing but because we want to make it better while people that are in far left or even far right or right groups conservatives 
and and the Labour Party even. They want to make a career and a living out of it. So they have to invest all of their time and all of their effort to have the maximum impact to climb up the pyramid and get somewhere and get a living out of it. And that's the crony part of politics as we have it now. And you can, if you look at kind of what kind of people make up these Trotskyist Leninist organizations, you're right, it is mostly students. If, you, if you're really committed, you, you can make a career out of being a radical left-winger. You can go from being a member of the Leninist society at your university, then with no training whatsoever in the field, you can do a, you can become a, a rep in some union somewhere, and then you can move up and become involved in these different organisations. And I think there's something to be said for that, that I've never met a libertarian who is... A libertarian first and their career second i've only ever met libertarians who are i've never met a career libertarian i've never met one in real life i'm sure they exist well oh, yeah. we know they exist but i've never met one i've only ever met people that are it technicians or mm. doctors or people who were you know engineers but they just happen to be libertarians on the yes. side and for me one of the things that i hope to do as i said i i'm not the most intelligent person you are ever going to meet. I don't claim to be. But one of the things I... Pretty close, pa- <laughs> Well, thank you. Well, one of the things I'm passionate about is helping libertarians get organised. Like, we don't have to be career radicals to be organised. There are things that we can do to join forces and have a much bigger impact than we already do. It's, a, it's about doing things that get our ideas out there. Yeah, and at yeah, the moment we're not doing we're not doing that. Yeah, well, one point. of the things one of the things that we could do more proactively was to talk to people like on on the office you work or to your family, like try to have sensible arguments with people and try to put forward the the case for libertarianism and actually listen to people as well. Listen like, to no, them before you kick their faces with your yeah Austrian. Austrian <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just um, the main point is not being embarrassed of being libertarian. I think a lot of us are very introverted and uh, people who, like Bruno said, just want to be left alone. It's very easy to be targeted for your political beliefs, like it is for anything else, obviously. But please, if you're a libertarian, don't be embarrassed to go out and say, I'm a libertarian. And if someone mocks you, say, well, you can always research it. And you might get to have an interesting talk or you might feel more confident about yourself as well, not hiding what you believe. But the main point is don't be embarrassed because the, the, the movement needs you and needs you, your, your word to be put forward as I exist, we exist. You might not agree with what I say, but we're still here. I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, I also think that... Um... One of the things I really hate is people that say, oh, we should do something and then don't suggest things that you can do. So here's a a few things off the bat that I think people could do to spread libertarianism. So, for example, having meetings, like set up a meetup group where libertarians can talk about things. That's one thing. That's an easy thing. You could set up a YouTube channel. You could set up a reading group. Even you could, something that I'm really passionate about, I know it's kind of old school, but talk radio there's loads of talk radio stations here in the UK you could call them up and express a libertarian opinion I'm passionate about that I think that's an important thing for people to do for people to hear there's all kinds of things that you can do to be a libertarian and organise with people and have a more collective impact than just kind of sat in your bedroom arguing with people over social media and notice that you just said a really long list of things that you can do and you didn't say vote for a libertarian candidate yeah that's true that's true well voting for Liber- I, i'd be happy if the libertarian party uk became more of a force i'd be happy to vote yes for some uh, i'd be happy too. to vote for somebody mm-hmm. who is who's a member of that party I, at not... least we can hold them accountable it's yeah. like i'm a libertarian and i voted for a libertarian it's not oh i'm a libertarian but i voted for a conservative candidate what really can I say? Yeah. yeah. And you're being hypocritical because you're voting for something that you don't agree with. So. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. I mean, one of, the th- one of the things I really dislike is this deterministic idea that people are not going to support libertarian ideas. 
because they're on board the gravy train and they're go- it's not in their self-interest to vote for a libertarian. I think that really is, that for me is one of the most stupid ideas that, and I can understand why some people subscribe to it, but just this idea that people who, you know, use state services, people who rely on the benefit system, people who use the NHS, use or work in the public sector are somehow the enemy. Mm-hmm. Just for me really sticks in my craw and mm-hmm. it's one of the things which whenever I come across I always try and challenge it. Yeah, with, with with every political system you have that tendency of having the us and them. So the political party of not political part of libertarianism brings that up as well so it's like you want to find the enemy it's like uh, the 1970s 80s 90s in the US where the communists were the enemies and you had to fight the communists and then we end up doing the same thing right so we, we have to learn from yeah from the mistakes yes, people made someone in the past. someone once asked me why no um political system grows based on love why why isn't it that we just get together and love each other and just live in peace <laughs> and i said look there's no more there's no stronger force for uniting humans other than hate there is nothing else we need we, we like to hate together right we love in small groups of two or maybe more in between four walls but hating is a social thing so we we get together and that's how political parties are organized it's not based on what we love to believe and and you know love of for each other it's just a, a hate of a common theme and for me that's one of the most important things that, that i take away is that poor people and ethnic minorities are often the people that are the most fucked over by the state like i this whole idea that people who live on benefits in, in the UK are somehow leeches and they propagate the system for me just is a total non-starter and it really does my head in when people use that argument to say that's why we don't have libertarianism now because of these leeches and I know that I'm probably going to upset some objectivists listening to this but I believe we it, have a little bit of both I, th- I think there is there is that to a certain level but it's not the whole of the fall of not having libertarianism. I wouldn't even say it's 10 or 20% really, but we do have people that are on the, on the loop of the state given um, free stuff and they can't get out of it exactly because of governmental regulations and um, bureaucracy. But for me, that doesn't mean you should not appeal to them. Oh yeah, no, I, I think that that's a very far-fetched statement to make. Yeah, so sometimes people think that poor people don't like to work or poor people, I don't know, they just have some kind of prejudice because this is essentially being prejudiced against poor people, right? And many people, if they are just free to build their lives up and free to pursue what is meaningful to them, they will end up in a better place. They will build their lives up Right. So you can't you can't think that oh my god these people are lost and then and and that goes the same thing for for the left as well because they think they're lost and then we have to help them and there's no other way to do it if the state is not there to help they're not going to fix themselves right and uh, just to end on this I think that one of the we are increasingly coming to a fork in the road in our history where we have this fantastic amazing new technology that really does kind of open a whole new world well already has opened up a whole new world in terms of the internet and data and it can really go two ways you as we were saying at the beginning of the podcast that if governments i'll use a historical example i remember reading about um, the expansion of russia into siberia and Russia was at a fork in the road in its history that Siberia could have become the new kind of or another version of, a, of, the, of the Wild West and westward expansion in America. But it didn't. It, it became this authoritarian dictatorship under the Tsar. 
And I think we're at a similar place in our history that this new world could become a really quite nasty, scary thing yes. if people don't take it, if people don't adopt libertarian ideas. And I think one of the different things now from certainly even when I was born is that because of this new technology, people are increasingly able to do things for themselves. One person now with an internet connection and a half decent laptop can do the work of like 50 people even just 20 30 years ago yes. like you don't need the state to help you anymore you, you can just do it yourself and i think that that's you know an important thing that we do stand at this fork in the road and if libertarians don't make our voice heard then it could potentially be very nasty for civilization. Yeah, it is an, yeah. Uh, an uncomfortable idea to, to tell people that they don't need to rely on any institution to help them because that's what the state is seen as by most people, as a safety, safety net. net. Yes, right? the argument. It is, it is uncomfortable, but uh, I, I think everyone, it, like most people are ready for that message. And it's like, it is... It is acceptable to talk about and people are open to the idea. So if we know how to argue and we engage people in an honest conversation, I think we have a really good shot at convincing people. Oh, man. Fuck. There's so much shit that I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to. I wanted to talk about like seasteading and cryptocurrency and Liberland, but... Maybe that's for another time. That's a good promise for our next one on the yeah. seventh and but, the special one. Yeah, that's it. The, but we are kind of running out of time. The last kind of thing I just wanted to leave on is that I'm fucking excited that there is a lot of potential in the libertarian movement at the moment. And one of the fantastic things about doing this podcast is that we are in a position to reach out to people who are libertarian. So watch this space. Hopefully there will be some more kind, the more engaging libertarian stuff coming at you in the very near future. So yeah, watch this space. Fuck. Thank you very much for listening and uh, hope to see you again. Thank you very much. Thank Bye you. everyone. Thank you.